Welcome to Half Finished to Done, a podcast for passionate business owners like you who are ready to stop procrastinating and start finishing all of your half-done projects. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm looking forward to helping you finish your projects in a calm, sustainable way using a simple, repeatable process. All along the way, we'll be working through the mental, emotional, and logistical obstacles that are standing between you and extraordinary projects. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have today's guest, Kim. Kim, tell us about yourself. Hi, Christina. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Kim Witten, and I am a transformational coach and research consultant. I'm living here in the UK, and but I'm originally from America, from California, and I help overwhelmed creatives turn their overthinking into expert thinking. That tagline, so good. Thank you. So we started working together when you were transitioning into your business, which was last year at just about this exact time, right? Exactly. Yeah, it was just about a year ago when we started working together. Yes. Okay. How's the last year been? How would you sum it up? Intense and rewarding and challenging. I think those are the three words. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that. What have been some of the highlights and the lowlights? From the start, there was a lot of change and transition, leaving my corporate job, starting with something new, branching out on my own, being able to design my own time and find new clients. There was just a lot to learn, a lot to set up, a lot to figure out. Who am I supporting? How am I supporting them? What am I doing? (laughs) How do I do it? (laughs) And then on top of all of that, I was moving house and dealing with lockdown and all of the normal life stuff that goes on and adjusting to the transition and the identity shift of who am I now and, and how do I do things? And that feeling of wanting to get it right and wanting to be successful and wanting to make the most of the time. I love that you say the normal life thing so that we've just made these things normal. It's like, you know, (laughs) COVID times, quarantine, all that good stuff. One day that will not be normal again. That'll be a nice time. (laughs) Yes. I think you just summed up the entire experience of moving from a corporate job into a business. So I'm sure a lot of people relate to that. One of the things that you just said jumped out at me immediately, which is this idea that we're like, oh, well, when I switch, I'll have all the time in the world and then it will all go completely smoothly because I'll have more time. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. When you have more time and you feel uncomfortable managing your time, it gets even more challenging. Was that your experience? Yeah. And in ways that you don't expect. So I was spending a lot of time tinkering with my calendar and trying to optimize because puttering is my form of of self-care, of organizing visual noise and making things neat and thinking somehow that that was going to give me the motivation I needed. If I could optimize things or get things just right, then I would feel right or feel motivated. And that wasn't always the case. How did you find that out, that that wasn't the case? I think I was wasting time. I didn't know this at the time, but I was wasting time doing a lot of things that weren't high value. And so I wasn't feeling at the end of the day like I was getting anywhere or as least as much. It just felt unstructured. It felt unfocused. I felt like, the duck that's, you know, the legs are kicking under the water, but I was treading water. You know, I wasn't really kind of moving forward. So what made you decide to join Half Finished to Done Life? Like where in that, where in your transition did Half Finished to Done Life pop up on your radar? Yeah, it's an interesting one because we met on Lunch Club and I saw you as, as a coach that was, had it together, had a, a clear program and was able to serve people and help people and a really good model for me of like what things could be like. So it was, it was operating at two levels because it was like, ah, this is, I could learn a lot just on the meta level of how to run a business, how to do things, how to do group coaching. But then I could also see the value of, of all the insights that you were sharing and the actual work. What was interesting to me and a big hurdle was I didn't consider myself a procrastinator, right? And I think there's something interesting about labels like procrastination or perfectionism or any number of things is we don't always identify with those things because we have a picture in our head of what that type of person looks like. So for me, 
Anxiety is a big one. I've had anxiety my whole life. I didn't realize I had anxiety or was even an overthinker because I had this picture in my head of the person, you know, hyperventilating into a paper bag. That's not how it showed up for me. And same with procrastination. It doesn't show up in the same way that you would typically think of a procrastinator. And you very quickly, through our early conversation, disabused me of that idea of what a procrastinator can look like, that it doesn't always fit into this way. And and you even had this, I think this early model of three different types of procrastinators. I can't remember. This was a long time ago. Oh, that was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, so many abandoned little concepts here and there, but I love that you remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. This is, this is really interesting. So I was doing things like procrastinate learning and I've been doing that my whole life you know, researching things long after I'm ready to actually buckle down and do the work, but I'm just still collecting the knowledge. Lots of different things like that, where I didn't quite identify as a procrastinator, but then I knew there was something that I needed. And I've done this many times in my life where I've signed up for something or I've leaped into something or I've joined a course, not quite knowing what it is or why. I've just trusted my intuition. It's almost like there's a part of me that I'm blind to myself, that knows I need this. And then I get into something and then it clicks and it's like, oh, this is why I'm here. This is why I brought myself here. And so I could just really see that there was something that I wanted to get out of this course and that I would get out of it. Huge benefit. And you know that was evident from the start, but it just kind of grew as I went through the program and started getting more and more value out of the different concepts. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's so interesting. I love that you trust your intuition when it comes to that decision-making. And it also makes me think about how I think people who tend to do the best in the program have an A, an openness, and B, a relaxed. So Karen actually talked about this on one of the other episodes, right? Just that feeling of being like, I'm in it and I know I'm going to get value, but I'm not desperate for it to work. And that is such a good place to be in the program. Like that is the best possible place you can be in emotionally, I think, in order to make the program work for you. So I love that you're like, it's going to work. I don't really know how. I don't really know why, but I know that I'm going to get something from it. So that's so cool. So what were the, what are your biggest takeaways? I know that's a huge question because we've worked together officially for the eight weeks, but then I know we've worked together through a ton of different challenges. What are the biggest takeaways that stick with you every day? Well, one of them ties back to the point that you just said about value. You shared something really early on that stuck with me. I think probably you said it even before I signed up. And it's this idea of you can get value out of anything that nobody can waste your time. And at the time I was taking your course, but I also signed up for a different course from a a marketing guy. And I was struggling with that one. So I had this kind of almost dual experience of taking your course and starting with that and getting the value out of it but then also using what you were saying about nobody can waste my time and applying it to this other thing and everything else that was happening in my life. So I just started seeing things differently around any meeting that I was in or any activity that I was doing was, okay, nobody can waste my time. So how can I get value out of this? What is the value that I'm going to get from this? Even if I'm feeling bored or anxious or whatever it is, So I think that's one of the biggest, biggest takeaways. That is so profound. So I want to like pause and dig into that. The first reason that I think this is so interesting is that's not an official teaching of the program by any means. Like I've spent no time whatsoever talking about that. But what's so interesting to me is you picked up on one sentence and you took that one sentence and you went out and applied it to everything in your life. Like, do you (laughs) understand what a big deal that is for you and how cool that is? (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. And I love it because it's transformed how I feel about all these different things. And yeah, here's another one that's probably not a direct teaching of the program. And it goes back to values, but in a very different sense. Another thing that you said to me, early on was, what if it wasn't possible that your values could be at odds with each other? How might that be true? Because at the time I was having what I felt were conflicting values, this idea of wanting things to be organized and structured, like my calendar, 
but also really rebelling against it. I have this strong rebellious streak in me, and that's allowed me to do many good things, but it's also gotten my in my way in many ways. And especially as I was leaving my business a year ago, that rebel was a little bit out of control. And so I think through those eight weeks and beyond, I've learned how to align my values. And I think it does actually, now that I'm thinking about it, go back to one of the direct teachings. So this is another thing that I really got out of it is this idea that procrastination is fundamentally a disagreement with yourself about what you should be doing. And that has really stayed with me. And I think that probably sold me on it because that was like, ah, this is a different way to see procrastination. And I am disagreeing with myself about what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, when I'm doing it, what my calendar looks like. And that's where all the tinkering and the puttering and the color coding and all of that was coming up because I was having the the rebel part of me and the organized part of me you know, seemingly at odds. But if it's not possible for your values to conflict with each other, then how do I get those aligned? Kind of focus all of the things I'm doing and get clear about what I'm doing. So I'm not sitting here wasting time overthinking and disagreeing with myself. Wow. I love the color coding example. It's just such a good example of we're like, well, if I just put it in different colors on my calendar, that'll make me take action. I'm like, or you can deal with your terror and your fear. Maybe we should work on that one first. <laughs> I'm so normal. I love no it. No colors. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's the calendar. I'm like, no, it's not. I promise you, <laughs> right? Even though I teach calendaring, I'm like, I promise you it's not the calendar. Okay, so I would love for you to just tell us what is the answer, and I'm sure it's an evolving question, but what is the answer of like when you find out that your values or you think that your values can't be at odds and you bring together the tinker with the rebel, how do you make those work together? What have you done specifically? I'm still answering that question. And I think that's a good thing because I I think that's an evergreen question of how do I get this hyper-organized person who likes to Tetris things and wants structure to work in concert with the rebel person who wants to throw the calendar out the window and have free time and do things however I want and can get very indignant (laughs) about things at times. But they're a team and they're a team. They're on the same side moving forward. So it's allowing them to have their say, but not neither is in charge. I think it goes back to this idea. There's a part of psychology called transaction analysis. And in it, there's this idea of these different scripts that we have in our heads about parent, adult, child. And we learn these from being a child. We learn these from authority figures growing up. And for me, the rebel child is a very strong script. And if I'm in a childlike mode or I get my buttons pushed in a way, I can let that rebel child take over. But the goal is to be more adult mindset mindset, and use that child, rebel child script almost to, as a resource, be like, okay, this is information. This is telling me that there's something I need right now. I need to go do something wild. I need to go take a break. I need to schedule some free time on my calendar and I can use that however I want. Right. But they don't get to be in charge. I'm in charge. Okay. I love that. And I love the idea of separating out like almost different personas. And so I think of that, I do it when I'm like self-soothing myself. If I'm ever like freaking out or having a hard time or whatever, I do like the adult voice. I'm like, okay, what do you need, little little Christina? <laughs> and I soothe myself through that. And I don't say, like, I never say, like, so I, I imagine myself as usually like four. And I never am like, oh, well, that four-year-old version of me is stupid and wrong. I'm like, no, she's hurt. What does she need? So I love that you're you're doing that in a different way. When you drew out one of my thought gremlins really early on about showing up, and this was the concept of Dread Buddy. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, let's talk about Dread Buddy. I love Dread Buddy. (laughs) Yeah. So, this is a good one because in an early call before I'd signed up, and we were exploring concepts and the way I show up to things because I wasn't having a problem calendaring things or following a process. I was having a problem actually showing up to the things I scheduled, especially when I scheduled them with myself, but also when I was 
showing up to obligations with other people, especially if it was meetings or performance, performative type things like having to lead a meeting or a workshop. I was having an extreme amount of anxiety and that came up in the form of dread. So I'd feel dread the second I woke up or even before I went to bed the night before, and then it would last all day and then up through, during, and then after the thing. So we named it Dread Buddy, which was very, very apt. And that, that almost personification of it allowed me to befriend Dread Buddy and allowed me to conceptualize it in a different way of, okay, Dread Buddy's here. It's not going to take over. It's not going to cause me to freak out. It just needs to sit quietly beside me. I acknowledge you're here. You need to not be in my way because I've got work to do. That was really, really useful and still is with me today. I'm like the concept or the dread buddy or both? (laughs) Well, both, but so much more manageable. Like sometimes I don't see dread buddy for a while. And that used to not be the case. Because it was just, I wasn't in touch with what I was feeling and what I needed. It's like what you were saying about little Christina. What does she need right now? It's that similar thing. I suspect, so tell me if I'm right, that the reason that works so well is you can either feel the dread as you were doing and then have resistance to that where you then spend the entire day being like, I feel dread and I hate that I feel dread. But what you did when you named it Dread Buddy was be like, okay, dread's here right? I don't have to be in resistance to that. I can just observe it happening. And that actually is what lessens the pain of it. And it's the inviting Dread Buddy to be welcome is the thing that makes Dread Buddy be like, oh, okay, never mind. I guess I don't really need to be here all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that that play between resistance versus just letting the feelings be there and then pass, pass through you. It's a um, book... Emily and Amelia in their book, I think it's burnout, and they talk about feelings are tunnels and you have to go through them. But when you're resisting, you're not even entering the tunnel. <laughs> you're just saying, I want to stay safe outside here. And so there's that, that disagreement with yourself again, that fight. And I think that was the shift, was allowing the dread and the anxiety to just be there. And once I was able to let go and resist it or no longer resist it, then it just passed so much more quickly. And then also there were times where it just didn't even show up, which is a milestone. Yeah, that's massive. I love the way you connected that back to the self-agreement, which is, right, it's fundamentally being out of agreement with yourself if you feel dread, but you're mad at yourself for feeling the dread. That is the unresolved internal disagreement. And then as soon as you say, hey, the dread's here, here we are that brings you into agreement. So I think it's really important to clarify that self-agreement doesn't always feel good per se. Like self-agreement doesn't always feel happy clappy, as I like to say, but you're in agreement with yourself even when the emotion is negative. So we can agree that it sucks. (laughs) Right. We can agree we don't like it, but we're not resisting it. We're not fighting it. Yeah. Okay. I think it just, my mind just goes like all the tasks that are ever on your calendar that you're like, yeah, we agree. We don't like this, but we're going to do it. Yeah. Right. We agree. We don't want to do our taxes, but we're going to do them. And it just cuts down all the procrastination. It cuts down all of the pushing it off because you're like, yeah, I'm never going to want to do it, but I'm still going to do it. Mm -hmm. And it eases the suffering. Because when we're resisting, then we're judging ourselves and we're having all those meta emotions of, I feel bad about myself when I feel anxious. Yes. And that just adds, it's just a pile on. We don't need that. <laughs> I don't want that. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that'll, that's the showstopper right there. Yeah. Hard pass. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you, you have such a good inventory in your brain of just all these really interesting concepts. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I know one that you're super excited about. And I always joke, I'm like, I feel like you can teach this better than I can at this point because you've done so much like working with it and riffing on it. So accomplishment triad. What is your take on the accomplishment triad? Do you want to teach it? Do you want me to teach it? <laughs> I want you to introduce it and Perfect. then let's, let's explore it. Awesome. Okay. I think you do a great job of explaining it. And, and you came up with it, so it's, it's yours. <laughs> Take it away. 
So I've never talked about this on the podcast. So um, the accomplishment triad is a concept that I developed for a one-off intensive that I did called the How to Use Your Brain Intensive, which you were at and never taught it again. But the original recordings, so the four concepts that I taught are part of the starter resources that people get when they sign up for the program, not the behind the scenes coaching because that is private and anonymous based on who is there, but the videos, you get access to those. So one of those videos is the accomplishment triad and the accomplishment triad came about because I just had this epiphany one day. I was looking up the word accomplished. I was like studying the dictionary as you do when you are also a fellow overthinker, but I like to just call it creative, strategic minded (laughs) and accomplished. One of the definitions of accomplished is that accomplishment comes from a combination of effort courage, and skill. And I just had a moment where I was like, that's it. That is literally all that we need in order to finish projects, in order to have the businesses that we want, in order to have the lives that we want. And I teach obviously so many other formats, but I'm like, it really does all come down to those three things, right? I'm either teaching you a skill in the program. So like deep work or Monday R1, how to calendar project planning, that's a skill. Those are all skills. But even the bare minimum challenge, I'm like, that's fundamentally just a skill set of thinking about your workload differently. And then you've got the effort, which is just being willing to actually show up for the work, which we'll for sure talk about. And then you've got the courage. And so what I realized was that most people that I coach as self-proclaimed procrastinators and sometimes as self-proclaimed perfectionists, Most people think that the thing that they're lacking is skill. And what I have found is what most people are actually lacking is courage. And so most people, right, if you think about the procrastinating learning and like over-researching or over-planning, over-tinkering, I'm like, what we are desperately trying to get is more skill. And I'm like, no, 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 you're good. You just have to have the courage to go put yourself out there and fail miserably because that's the hard part. And then I was also laughing because I do not have that problem. My problem, what I discovered, and this was all in retrospect, so hindsight was beautiful to me, but in the moment I did not realize it, is I was like, I'm not lacking courage and I'm not lacking effort. I genuinely was lacking skill. And so once I figured that out, I was like, oh, okay, right? I can just throw myself haphazardly at a million things and put myself out there a hundred billion times and that's great. But if that is not supplemented by real skill sets like sales and marketing and great coaching, my business is not going to be what I need it to be. So anyway, that is the entire concept. What is your take on all of that? What are you thinking? Yeah, the concept is so incredibly useful in so many ways. For myself personally, for people I work with, I've shared it with friends, family, clients, everything. And people always have a, a different take on it based on what they're working on and how it strikes them. And it's really interesting to hear where people's tendencies are, like yours with with skill. You know, when you were early, I think you related it to your marketing when you were first starting out, which I thought was so interesting. You were putting yourself out there and you were putting the work in. You're an incredibly hard worker. And that's something that I, so my weak, weaker area is effort. I hate putting effort into things. That is a real struggle for me. And I will go over the top to learn something or to put myself out there if it can be quicker or easier if I don't have to put in the hours or put in the work. So I use the other two areas to pull up the effort area so that I can try to get as much value or as much quality work done with as little effort as possible. But there are times when you just need to put in the hours. And having that model, having that way of thinking about it raises so much awareness about how I work. And that was the thing I think for other people too that I've shared it with is they can ask themselves those questions that I think you initially brought up. It's like, what do I need more of right now? Courage, effort, or skill? You know, or how can I use the other things to bring up an area where I'm lacking? So I've been thinking about this accomplishment triad for so long because what I love to do is take ideas and tumble them in my mind and play with them and bend them and see if there's kind of more to it. And sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But I think with this one, 
I've taken it into several different directions. And one of the things I've realized is that different types of skills have a bias towards, you know, different types of activities, I mean, or projects. Some may require more of one thing. So giving a presentation, building a presentation requires more courage. Learning how to drive a car, probably a little less courage, a bit more skill, and then putting in the hours, right? Writing a book, it's a lot more effort of putting in the hours. And that could be different for different people. But one of the things that's helped me kind of, I guess, take the concept further is figuring out kind of almost right sizing and right shaping what you need. So how much courage, effort, and skill, how big is this triangle, if you will, you know, and then also what shape is it? Do I need a lot more courage? And do I have that? (laughs) Or, you know, effort or skill. And so that's just a really nice kind of always balancing itself out model for any sort of work I've I've been doing. I just love it because it's it's very simple, right? It's three factors. Done. And also, I love that you've taken it so much and been like, okay, we can look at this in so many different ways and we can just expand how impactful this concept really is. I actually want to go back to something you said, which is about the effort. So like your personal awareness around the effort that you want to put in. And what I think is really cool is it would be so easy to be like, obviously the answer is just put in more effort. Like that would be the most logical, easiest answer. But I love that you're like, yeah, no, let's not do that. Like, let's figure out workarounds. Yeah. Cause I don't want to feel terrible. Right. Effort doesn't feel good to me. It's, you know, it's that question you've, you've often asked is like, what are your favorite feelings? Or what are your least favorite feelings? And working hard does not feel very good to me. And I've had to struggle as a professional. You know, that doesn't sound very professional. So what does that mean? How do I make sense of that? But I want to work around it. Right. What's coming up for me is I'm like, this is our privilege as business owners that you can say, I don't really want to put in that much effort. I got to figure out a better way. But it makes us so innovative. And I think it's so cool the way you took something you have resistance to and turned it into a strength and a superpower. It's like, how can I get this done with the least amount of effort? Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Like, how could I work three days a week? I'm not there yet, but how could I start practicing that or making that possible? You know, how can I design my time in a way that's pleasing to me? And I love this concept of designing my time, designing my week. How can I create a newsletter that is easy to put together, is super short, but by having less, it creates more value and delivers more value for people. So that's become the goal. And especially lately, these past several months, how could I do less, less heavy lifting in my calls, in my meetings, in my work, in my writing? How can I write less? All of that and have that actually be more impactful, which I've been practicing that for weeks and months. And that's become ever more critical in the past month because I've needed to do your bare minimum challenge. And I've had some significant setbacks that have prevented how much I can do (laughs) even more than how much I would like to do. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Let's dive in. So what I was thinking immediately when you were talking about low effort, my brain also went to the bare minimum challenge. So I just want to say for anyone listening, if you're like, there's so many concepts, I'm like, it comes together in the program and have finished it on live, but also you'll get starter resources. And I always direct people. I'm like, okay, based on our consult conversation, here's where I suggest starting. So you're not flying blind. You're not like going into the resources and being like, I have no idea where to start. I'm like, okay. Based on what you said, here's your challenge. So I would recommend starting here. One of the places where a lot of people do start is the bare minimum challenge, which the point of the bare minimum challenge is not to do less effort. However, that is totally one of the possibilities of it. So yeah, how have you, why have you needed to use the bare minimum challenge? And then how have you actually used it? Can I just jump back to something you said about the concepts as well? So I'll just add to that too, because you do learn a lot of concepts, but you don't need to hold on to all of them. Whatever's going to be 
relevant, helpful, necessary for you is going to come up. And you'll remember that because you're going to always take yourself to what you need. And if you build that self-belief and self-trust, you know that you're going to get what you need and you'll let go of the rest because you can't possibly hold on to anything. But that desire to hold on to anything comes from a place of scarcity when we don't trust, you know, when we don't trust that we'll get what we need, right? For sure. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I'm actually so glad that you said that because self-trust is obviously a huge part of the program and building that self-trust and the belief that you said, it's just, I will get what I need. You said it a different way, but like what's meant for me will find me. I know that sounds very woo-woo, but (laughs) however you want to interpret that in a maybe a less woo-woo way, but like whatever concepts I need to hear will stick in my brain and the rest can just float away. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't need the bare minimum challenge when I first learned it, or even when I first took the challenge when you were offering it. And I just kind of went, oh, that's interesting. That's, that's neat. You know, and somewhere I tucked it away. I didn't even realize that I'd tucked it away. And then later in this past month, six weeks, when I've had a lot of health setbacks, and then I got COVID on top of it, then I was like, I need something. Yes, Christina has something. Let me go back to the documents. Let me go back to the resources, which I'd all saved and you organized them all so well. So I went back to it and I just walked myself through the bare minimum method. And that's exactly what I needed at the time. I just have to say personally, that just means so much to me because one of my thoughts that I'm really, really believing now more than I ever have is I'm like, I have a resource for anything that people need. You do. And yeah. (laughs) And that's like something that's so important to me is being like, no matter what you're struggling with, as long as it's obviously in the scope of project finishing, we have a resource. And I'm like, that is a testament to three years of, like you said, hard work, right? It's three years of the accomplishment triad in action is what that is, right? It's the effort, the courage, and the skill that has built this whole library of resources. So anyway, I'm really personally proud of that. And I'm like, I think that's encouraging to anyone. It's like, that doesn't happen overnight, but it's just slowly but surely using the accomplishment triad to build your effort, courage, and skill in order to create valuable resources. Anyway, that was a side note. But anyway, so tell me about health challenges followed by COVID. Yeah. And I'm still on the recovery from that. So I'm still using the bare, it's almost in a way the bare minimum method has become a way of being, (laughs) which I I kind (laughs) of like. It's like, oh, it's its own little meta challenge of how can I continue to do this in a way? Because it's really, so one of my biggest values is simplifying things and kind of scaling things back. So it's, you know, when you're, when you're going through the challenging times, it's helpful to have a structure like this. Having a plan is not this set of constraints that you must hold yourself to. It's a set, it's a rails that you can set up for yourself and then whoosh down them later and not have to worry so much about how or what you've built the rails for future you to go have an easy ride. At least that's the way I look at it. And so the bare minimum challenge, it wasn't going to be an easy ride no matter what. But, you know, it wasn't going to be a fun ride because what I'm going through sucks and COVID sucks, but I can make it easier and I can make it something that I can be proud of without feeling guilt or guilt about working through this without ignoring self-care, you know, getting the rest that I need and the recovery that I need, but also getting the work, the minimal amount of work done that I can be proud of without overexerting myself. Yeah. I love the, I just imagine a bobsled, just like whooshing, like cool running style, just like going down, like, okay, we have the track here and we're just going down it. And then also what you said is super important, which is it's not about having a, like a period of chronic illness or COVID and being like, yay, this is great. Thanks so much. I'm glad universe I get to experience this. It's about being like, it sucks. And I can either exacerbate that suckiness by now burying myself, like you said, in the shame and guilt of I need to get my work done and I'm not, or I can let it suck and then give myself the resources to be like, okay, what is the bare minimum that needs to happen right now in order to create the results that I want? Do you have any specific examples of what you worked through? 
I don't at the moment, but maybe this next thing will spark one. Because I was just thinking as you were talking about going through these challenging times. And I think one of the things that it does is it puts our, we have, I think all of us have a certain level of kind of over-functioning. So doing too much when things get stressful or under-functioning. So kind of walking away and shutting down. And people might have a tendency one or the other. And when we get a setback or an illness or something, it puts that into disarray. So we might be bouncing back and forth between, yeah, over-functioning and under-functioning. And that's when I was, especially when I was adjusting to COVID while having an injury, I was really flipping around between those, you know, there was part of me that was saying, you can't do anything right now. You need to sit here and, and just watch Netflix or sleep and not feel guilty about that. And then there was another part of me that was saying, okay, well, you need to do something. And then that became a little bit of busy work. And then I would catch myself. Then it was like, what's the minimum I need to do? And so I ended up like that first week, maybe here's an example. I, as soon as it was Monday and I was like, right, okay, I'm going to have to clear my calendar of all my calls. And there was one call I didn't clear on a Thursday that because I'd rescheduled it, they were really important. I was really kind of worried about that one. And so I left it and I cleared everything else. And then Thursday came, I wasn't feeling great, but they didn't even show. And it was fine. It was a mistake and, and all of that. And we've rescheduled, but it re- that really showed me what I was doing. So I was sitting there feeling terrible, sitting there on the call, waiting for them to show up. And then of course, when they didn't, and I couldn't get a hold of them, I felt very differently after the call. And when I'd spent all day anticipating it, knowing that I didn't feel well. And so that was almost a mistake or a bad judgment on myself for myself, but I can forgive myself for it and I can accept it and I can see what happened there because it was a lot of information out of that experience. You know, I'd, I'd gotten rid of everything else, but I told myself that this one call was really important and there was a lot of scarcity around it. And so I kept it and I think I'd kind of maybe not aligned to what was important to me. I didn't really honor my values and what I needed but it's information, it's learning. I love that ability to look at it retroactively and be like, oh yeah, definitely wouldn't do that again. Yeah. Right. And I love you taking it and being like, guess it wasn't that important if we didn't even have it. Yeah. Right. Like we we think something is so high stakes and then you're like, oh, actually the world's still spinning and it didn't even happen. So I guess we're good. And using that experience to cement your confidence and not erode your confidence. That's really powerful. I'll add to that as well. Because that was the other thing on Monday is there was a whole lot of my calendar that was really not important all of a sudden. So yes, I canceled the calls, but there was a lot of other stuff that I was doing that I just didn't need to be doing at all. And I was actually kind of glad. I was like, well, don't have to do that. And I might not even put that back on the calendar. Right. That's what you were saying, right? About the bare minimum challenge becoming a way of life. What it makes you do is you look at your calendar through a new lens, which is like, wait, why did I have this stuff on my calendar? I'm not going to do it if worse comes to worse and I'm sick and suffering from COVID. And if I'm not going to do it under those circumstances, what if I shouldn't be doing it at all? It's just an invitation to evaluate. And I think that there's a bigger arc of that in the last two and a half years where it's made people reevaluate all the things that they're investing their time in, you know, their friendships or their work or their jobs or especially their projects, right? And it's making people think. And until you take that inventory, the project list inventory, which is a game changer, you know, listing all of your projects and then triaging them and deciding if you're going to do dump, delegate, or delay, such a game changer because it's all sitting in our heads you know, taking equal priority, taking up all that rent in our heads. And that was what was happening to my calendar. And then something came along and just really undercut all of it and made me see through that new lens, like you describe of, oh, this isn't important at all. This doesn't matter because now I have COVID and I'm injured. Yeah. So as you've been getting into the bare minimum challenge, what I'm curious about is what have you realized are 
A, your stakeholders, and B, the results that you're trying to get for those stakeholders, which is part of the bare minimum challenge. What has that made you realize about that? And then what in turn have you let go of? Okay. The biggest one that I've realized is that my number one stakeholder is me and I need to take care of myself. And it's not selfish to put myself first. And it's especially important. This is the other big takeaway. When you're not feeling at your best, it's a real struggle to figure out how to show up, how to show up and do your social media posts when the world is in disarray. And when you don't feel great, what do you say? All of a sudden, everything else seems a lot less relevant or important. So you've got to really figure out like, okay, how do I show up to my clients, to my work, to social media, to my friends and family? And so that goes back to that question of taking care of you and going back to my values and going back to what I need. So that's been the three things. There's been three questions that I've been asking myself of how do I show up when I don't feel at my best is what are my values? What do I need right now? And how do I get what I need in a way that aligns with my values? So I've been incorporating that into the bare minimum method when I get to that part of, okay, who is my number one stakeholder? Well, it's me. So let's get clear on what I need. And then that tells me and It builds those rails that you can whoosh down of how I can show up for number two stakeholders, number three, all of that makes all of that so much easier. So showing up for my clients are my number two stakeholders, taking care of my current clients. Yeah, it just puts everything into perspective and you just realize like, again, how much, for lack of a better word, junk is probably on your schedule and on your workload and you're just like, okay, I'm going to deliver this thing to this person, done. And then I'm going to go rest (laughs) or I'm going to rest first and then I'm going to deliver. And what I love about it so much is it just makes you think at a higher level. So you start thinking about, okay, how can I deliver results faster, more efficiently, maybe with less effort than I'm used to? And so it just makes your brain think creatively. And like that is our job as business owners is to make our brains think more creatively to give more value in less time. Like that is literally our job. And the bare minimum challenge just takes a negative event and turns it into an opportunity to do that. That's mind blowing. I still, I know I created it, but I still am like, my mind is blown by the power of it. (laughs) When I think what it does is it helps you transition from anxiety mindset to curiosity mindset which is the difference between overthinkers and deep thinkers. Overthinkers are driven by that anxiety mindset and they've got all the skills of of deep thinkers or other forms of productive thinking, strategic thinking, whatever, but they're not applying them efficiently because they're driven by anxiety. So by stripping things back and following the bare minimum method, these other things that allow you to think about it differently you're taking that anxiety framing and you're shifting in it into, you're forcing it into, in a good way, into creative thinking and creative curiosity mindset. The way you just said that, the difference between an anxious thinker or an overthinker and a deep thinker, that blew my mind. I'm like, I got to <laughs> re-listen to that like 20 times. That is so big. That right there is going to help so many people. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, not a problem. I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> so well says, so well articulated. It's <laughs> just like a perfect one-liner. Good job. <laughs> I overthink <Okay>. everything <laughs> in a good way, in a productive way. Yeah. But that wasn't always the case. <laughs> so speaking of which, that's a really good segue into one of my, my second to last question for you, which is we've talked so much about the process. So we've talked about the being out of agreement with yourself and how to get into agreement. We've talked about the emotional management, being aware of that and dropping resistance. We've talked about the bare minimum challenge and the accomplishment triad and all these different concepts. So my question for you is in the past year, what has all of that added up to for you? What that's added up to for me is a great question, a hard one, a challenging one. I think productivity for one, efficiency and clarity. There was a question that you asked in a recent, it was in the deep work challenge. Yeah. So I'm continually going back to some of the the free 
workshops and challenges that you offer. So I've got the resources. That's great. But what's really useful and valuable over time is your insights and your fresh perspectives and coaching other people on things. I always get something new, learning and participating, especially because I'm in a different context. So I always keep going back to those opportunities because I always get more value out of them. So yeah, I guess a couple of the things, what that's added up to is A, that kind of getting value out of everything. That's been a huge theme. It's developed into one of my principles about my business and how I work. I think it's practical and emotional. I feel better about what I'm doing and I'm more aware about what I'm doing. And therefore I'm doing things that I enjoy and that has higher quality with less effort nicely. Why is this question so hard for me to answer? I mean, I'm basically asking you to sum up an entire year of like, what does everything you've accomplished and are proud of? I think that's probably one of the reasons it's hard. But I think the other reason it's hard too is because when we make a ton of progress, we forget how painful it used to be. We're like, this is just the norm. I just I just show up to my calendar. I just enjoy my work. I just do deep work without pain. I just don't dread things. And like that becomes the new normal in a way that we're like, shit, we like don't realize how insanely much we've changed. That's my hypothesis. Yeah. Okay. I think there's something to that. And that's for sure. And that's reminded me too of what you said in the recent deep work challenge was this idea of, or was a question you posed to everybody is to list five things, at least, I think it was at least five things of ways that you're spending your time that aren't high value. And that made me realize that there was still five things. I could come up with five things that were low value items, but they were nowhere near the same five things that I was doing a year ago. And so I realized, actually, this is a bit of a challenging question because I'm a lot more efficient than I used to be, yet there's also still things that I'm doing that are not bringing value to what I'm doing. And they're just forms of like puttering. They're, you know, messing around on Twitter without any kind of purpose or, yeah, I could name a a million little things, but it's that qualitative difference as well as the quantitative difference of what I'm doing and how much I'm doing. It's just a heck of a lot more focused and I'm very aware of it. And the rebel still gets to play and the strategic organized person still gets to build the structure. They're just working together to build a business and to help people. And that feels a lot better than I think where I started. I'm so proud of you. And I just love watching the way that you just soak in things and you just, again, like turn around and examine them in a deep thinking way with curiosity, not an overthinking way. (laughs) Well, you tell me, but the way I see it, I'm like the deep thinking and then just being able to take that and then put it back out into the world in new, creative, innovative ways. I I think that's one of your biggest strengths that I see. Thank you. It didn't used to be that way. Even a year ago, but especially in the years before or decades before when I was younger, I was not able to clarify or articulate or even be aware of what I was thinking or saying. I was just stuck in these obsessive rumination loops and perfectionism and trying to get it right and just being led by my feelings while at the same time not even being aware (laughs) that I was having them. So yeah, it's been a lot of work, but the progress that I've made in the past year has been more incredible and transformative than I think many of the years prior. It's just really accelerated. So neat. Congratulations. Thank you. And thank you for, you know, all of the ideas. It's not just the tools and the resources, but it's the challenging questions and it's the ideas. And, you know, there are still questions that you've asked me a long time ago that I'm still working through and thinking about because they've they've stuck with me. And sometimes that's not always a comfortable question. It's something that's maybe I didn't like or disagree with, you know, I disagreed with it at the time, but it's like, oh, why did she ask that? (laughs) Do you have an example? (laughs) Well, I think going back to that question about the rebel versus the organized, like your values not being in alignment, you know, how might that be true is a really challenging one. 
and I didn't like it at first. Now I kind of embrace it because I don't feel threatened by it. Like I don't feel like I was doing something wrong. There was a lot of judgment that I created for myself about it. It's like I was very attached to these different kind of, I guess, personas with myself. And I was very attached to the idea of them, almost me having this special problem with my calendar, but it's not, it's very much like everybody else. And we're all struggling with a lot of the same things. And there's just different ways of looking at things. And I was having a lot of resistance around that because I was very tied to, I think my struggle. And you just like jiggled that loose in a way that I was ready for, but uncomfortable with. Does that make sense? Totally. It makes me, I'm like this, we could talk about this for an hour because it makes me just think about like in my coaching, when I get coached too, or when I'm coaching people is like where we double down, right? They say like defend your own limitations, where we defend our (laughs) limitations or where we're like, I'm a special snowflake. And so, right. My case is very different and where we just defend all of that in a way that is a self-protection mechanism, but it's a self-protection mechanism that keeps us from the success we want. And so I think this is just a really good invitation to everybody is when you're noticing, you're noticing a deep desire or like even a compulsion, I would say, to double down on something that's not working for you. Just ask yourself is what am I protecting against? And who would I be if I let this go? And what would I have to experience if I let this go? What uncomfortable truth (laughs) is like lurking behind there. Or sometimes it's like not even an uncomfortable truth. Sometimes it's a success and that's scary. Yeah. We don't want to feel our successes. We're scared to feel it. And then you kind of bake that in and say, okay, how are we going to celebrate this? Or let's take a moment to acknowledge that you did this thing that you wanted to do or that you got this far. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. This has been very, very meaningful. Like my head, I'm going to be thinking about this for days to come, like just everything you said. And I'm like, you you just surfaced so many things that I haven't thought about in a really long time. I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. We should bring that one back. So thank you. Thank you for your excellent memory. And just tell people where they can find you if they want to follow up on your work. Yeah. So one of the best ways to keep in touch with what I've been doing is to subscribe to my newsletter. It's called Hold That Thought. And that's where I provide weekly insights for people to help them think clearer, and they're overthinking and turn it into better ways of thinking and get clarity about what they're doing. So it's a weekly email, short burst of easily digestible, about three links that you can read really quickly, keeping things simple. And that's at witten.kim slash hold that thought. So that's W-I-T-T-E-N dot K-I-M forward slash hold that thought. I love that. I love the name of that. That is just such a good title for for all the overthinkers out there. You want me deep thinkers. (laughs) That's perfect. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done Live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project personal or business in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash HFD live for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.